Well, good morning. Great to see you today. Um, take off your blinders. And a message. Let's get out of here. Somebody going, yay, yeah. Hey, uh, this, is a, this is an old pair of blinders, but you get blinders, right? You understand blinders. You understand the concept of blinders. These are, these are an antique pair uh, that was loaned uh, to me, and the horse head goes in here, right? And then the blinders keep the animal from looking too far to either side. And I'm told, uh, because I don't know much about horses, horses, but I'm told that a horse, because of the way that the eyes are on the horse, they can actually see behind them some, right? You get that? So you put the blinders on a horse so that the horse can focus on what's ahead and not be distracted by all the other stuff around. I want to talk to you today about taking the blinders off. Now, for a horse, they're very functional. If you're going to plow a big field, it might be good to have blinders for your horse so that they don't get overly distracted about what's going on. Uh, if you're a, a horse racer, uh, very often you'll see horses that race with blinders on. A secretariat that won the Triple Crown in 1973, the first time a Triple Crown winner was uh, had for 25 years when Secretariat won. Uh, Secretariat won the Belmont Stakes by 31 lengths, which is astronomical for a horse race, right? But in every race that Secretariat ran, Secretariat wore blinders. And I want you today to think about the blinders in, that you wear that are in your life. Uh, and, and I want to invite you to take the blinders off. Now, you think about where you might have blinders, but an easy example about a place where you may have blinders is, uh, you've heard that expression, um, the elephant in the room, right? The elephant in the room is a blinders kind of an experience. Because uh, think about it this way, if there was an elephant standing over here, imagine an elephant being here and, and nobody acknowledging the elephant, right? And, and if you're in a family and you've got some issue going on, some dynamics going on, and nobody wants to talk about the elephant in the room, that's about having blinders on. Christy and I uh, talk with some frequency about the bubble that we live in. Right? And you, maybe you talk about the bubble in your own family, right? The bubble uh, represents, this is my sphere of influence and expertise, and these are the things I like about life and what I like to do, but I don't really want to know about all that other stuff out there. We like to live in the bubble, and living in the bubble is about living with blinders on. And maybe you've uh, had an experience where somebody starts talking to you about something that you don't want to hear about, and so you plug your ears and you start going, la, 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 right? That's a... That's blinder living. And sometimes we develop blinderness. And to illustrate uh, how we develop blinderness, I want you to think about stuff that goes on in our world right now. That sometimes we grow blinders because of things in the world. And an example would be to think about how we get oversaturated with things. And when we get oversaturated, we don't see those things anymore. An example would be the recent mass shootings that happened in El Paso and Dayton, Ohio. They made the news. Of course, they should have made the news. That was an incredible tragedy. But when we get oversaturated by stories like that, we start developing blinders and we start having blinderness. Not blindness, but blinderness. Do you know that in this year, in 2019, the... Uh, 
Gun Violence Archive tells us that there, so far this year in the United States, there were 9,443 deaths due to gun violence. Have you heard that number? 9,443. Today is the 237th day of the year, and you took, take the number of people killed in gun violence this year in the U.S. alone and divide that up by the 237 days. That amounts to 40 people every single day. 40 people every single day killed by a gun. Now, this is not some political statement about guns and gun violence, but it is trying to get you to understand or think about the fact that there are a lot of things that go on around us that because we have our blinders on, we're oblivious to them. And maybe we don't even want to hear about them because we don't want to deal with that which is going on around us. Think about what's going on in the rest of the world just for the Christians. Think about what's happening to the Christian world uh, around the world. Open Door Ministries is an international ministry outlet that uh, uh, organizes itself to try to serve Christians in 150 countries that are where there's persecution going on. And they track the numbers about what's going on with the Christians, and they try to send aid to places where there's a lot of persecution happening. They try to get people out when the persecution gets really bad. They, uh, they have, the end of their statistical year, Open Door Ministries did back in November last year. So in most of 2018, they tracked and said that there were 4,136 Christians who were killed because of their faith last year. This is not just, you know, any kind of a random killing. This is, these are people that were killed specifically because they followed Jesus. 4,136, that's 11 a day, killed because of their faith. There's another 2,625 2, that are in prison right now in all parts of the world, and they, they're in prison uh, without a judge without a trial, without any sentencing, they're in prison with an uncertain future. There are also 105 churches either attacked or vandalized or burned every month. 105 every single month, somewhere in the world, burned or attacked or vandalized. Now, we don't hear about this, and it may be a political agenda is the reason that we don't hear about it, but at least part of it could be, could it not, that we don't hear about this stuff because we got our blinders on, and we don't really want to, want to hear about this stuff, because if we don't know it's there, then we don't feel obligated to do anything about it. Today, I want to talk to you about getting your blinders off, about getting out of the bubble, about getting rid of blinderness. And it has to do with the call of Jesus in our lives. Our mission statement here at Lighthouse is to make followers, make Christ followers who change the world. To make Christ followers who change the world. Very simple mission statement. It's about this understanding that we believe that if someone can become a follower of Jesus Christ, God will use that individual to change their station and situation in life, impacting the people around them and therefore changing the world to make Christ followers who change the world. This comes straight out of the Great Commission that we find in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Matthew's uh, recounting of the last words that Jesus shared. Um, and it says this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What's Jesus say? Go and make disciples of all nations. He doesn't say a few. He doesn't say half dozen. He doesn't say a dozen. He doesn't say a hundred. He says, make disciples of all nations. We would say, wouldn't we, that we want to change the world. And when we say change the world, we'd say, we would want to say, wouldn't we, that we want to see the whole world change for the sake of Christ? Wouldn't we say that, that we want the whole world to change? But very often, when we think about the rest of the world, very often the response comes back, well, what about right here? What about taking care of right here? And I believe that it starts right here, but it's got to go way beyond that. Because think about all those other nations out there. Do we say to them, that's your problem? With blinders on, that's what we say. We're, 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 we're choosing intentionally to not recognize what is going on elsewhere. And so we think that if we don't know what's going on, we don't have to bother with it. The Bible does not say that we should make disciples of a few nations. It says all nations. Jesus said that. It's not an either-or kind of a proposition. It's a both-and. We've got to work here tell people know who Jesus is, but we got to work other places and not just in Texas and not just in the United States, but, the, but around the world. This is not Frank saying that. This is what the Bible says. Jesus' final words before he ascended, all right? Matthew gives us the recounting of what Jesus said uh, before everything was done. And, and Acts 1.8 has Jesus' final words to his friends. He's getting ready to disappear. He's getting ready to be lifted up on the clouds and go away. And he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You, he says to us, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And the progression, you get it, right? The progression is make disciples in Fort Worth, in Texas, in the United States, and oh, all around the world. It's an obvious progression. So I hope that at this point you get a little bit of a picture that the Bible is insistent that we not be so self-serving, that we not just be concerned about our little world, that we be concerned about the whole world that we get our blinders off. Listen to how Paul says it in Romans 10, verses 11 through 15. He says, as the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the, in, are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let the church say amen. amen. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What a great promise. That is. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring 
good news. Listen to those last couple sentences. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. How will anyone go and tell them without being sent? Some of you are aware that I lived in Brazil. My family lived in Brazil when I was a young boy, five and six years old. We went to Brazil. My dad was in a program at the University of Arizona. Uh, he was a, uh, in agronomy. He taught uh, crop ecology. Uh, talked, he taught about how to multiply pant, plants, grow plants uh, on a large scale. And so he, he enrolled in this program that the university started with another university in Brazil, the University of Ceará, which was the state that we lived in. We lived specifically in the city of Fortaleza. But the U of A sent people down into Brazil to help them learn how to properly grow crops, how to be more effective at what they were doing. And we spent two years there. I attended a little missionary school where everybody spoke English, and we were a little family there, uh, not a lot of English-speaking people there. A lot, of the pe a lot of the kids that were in the school were in this same program. And I became friends with the daughter of the preacher and his wife. We were, in the, we were the same age. We became buddies, good buddies. We liked to hang around together and that kind of stuff and just have fun. And uh, one time I was over at their house, uh, and I was going past the pastor's desk, and there was a picture of two sets of dirty feet sitting on his desk, and it intrigued me. Uh, and I asked the daughter, I said, what's, what's the picture of the feet about? Because normally on your desk you have pictures of faces, don't you? Uh, right? You know, people, you know, right? This is just feet. And the pastor, when I asked him about it, because the daughter said, ask my dad or ask my mom. When I asked him about it, he, he said, that's to remind me of why we're here. Because the scripture says that we have to be investing in helping people know who Jesus is all around the world. And that's why my wife and I are here, because we want them to know who Jesus is. Now, about 20 years ago, that very passage about the beautiful feet, I was, happened to be meditating on uh, in, some, in a quiet time that I was having, and it just kept coming up in front of me. It, it actually, I believe the Lord was, was pushing that into my face. It was one of those scriptures that you just can't get, get away from. And I began to wonder, because I'm slow, after you get it a bunch of times, you begin to realize, well, maybe God wants me to do something with this. What is this about? And I ended up having a conversation with a gentleman that a lot of you know in our church who was looking for a way to, to, to fulfill his own faith journey. And we, we began to have conversations about maybe starting a, a mission effort in Mexico. And as a result of that conversation, we ended up at Lighthouse supporting an orphanage called Casa Hogar. Here's a picture of the front of the house of Casa Hogar, and I just want to celebrate with you that you, along with about five other churches, built this building that is one of the finest buildings that is in that little community in Tecumachalco, but it's an orphanage, and there are about 35 or maybe 40 anywhere in there kids that have been kicked to the curb, that have been outcast by society in Mexico, that have a house, have a home, get food, get clothes, and oh, by the way, they get taught about who Jesus is. What a gift. You are a part of that which is going on there. Now, in order to get down there, you fly on a plane. Let's go to the next slide, please. And uh, you fly on a plane to Mexico City, and you get on a bus, 
and you ride on the bus for about two hours. And oh, by the way, this is the, the, the nicest, probably, I think, the nicest bus you'll ever ride on. They even have a, uh, they're not flight attendants, I'll call them a bus attendant, all right? Uh, you know, somebody that, whose job it is to walk down the aisles on your bus and could I get you a Coke or could I get you some peanuts or something like that? Whoever has that on a bus, right? And then you ride the bus to Puebla, which is a large metropolitan city, and then you get on a different bus, which isn't as nice as the first bus, but nevertheless, it's still a bus for transportation, and a, uh, about an hour, another hour's drive from there to Tecalmachalco, where the orphanage is located. Uh, and here are some other images from the orphanage. There's Dottie Sansbury with some of the kids, uh, intrigued by her iPad. Uh, another picture is... Uh, <laughs> Well, it was a little bit hard to hear because of the, the way the uh, sound track goes on. But these are a couple of kids that I asked them to say hello to Chrissy. So I don't know if you heard them at the end of saying hola, Chrissy, because uh, I said because they were asking me about my life. They were asking me about am I married and I had a wife and yeah, her name is Chrissy. And I said, would you be interested in could, could you say hi to her? And they said, oh, yeah, we'd love to. So they, that was what that was. The next one is of Juan Francisco and his wife, Sylvia. Pastor Juan Francisco uh, is the head of the orphanage, along with his wife. Can you imagine? Now, think about this. If you've got 35 kids in the orphanage, these two are responsible for 35 kids. Try that one on for size. You think you got it tough with your two kids or one kid or five kids or maybe? Is there anybody in here that's got eight kids? We're going to honor you right now if you've got eight kids, <laughs> right? But how about 35 kids? Can you imagine what that would be like? Boy, the hearts of these people, they are so amazing and beautiful. And, and this was from a couple years ago, uh, but we brought uh, Juan Francisco a guitar, a new guitar, because Juan Francisco is featured in the band on Sunday mornings because they started a church in the orphanage. Can you imagine that? They started a church in the orphanage. And you think the preaching is long sometimes here at Lighthouse? Okay, all right, yeah, yeah. Hey, we went for two hours. We went for two hours, and I got to tell you, it was spirit-filled, it was moving, it was powerful and profound. That's what church is like in the orphanage, and what a blessing it is. And people come from all over that community to the orphanage, and all the kids are there, and these adults, and they worship God and love God in beautiful ways. I hope that on your prayer list, you have Juan Francisco and Sylvia and if you don't remember their names, just say the pastor and his wife at the orphanage. They ought to be on your long-term prayer list because they are engaged in life-changing work. Because as I said, these are kids that have been outcast by society. These are kids where most of their parents are either in prison or dead. Nobody else in their family wants them. And the orphanage takes them. Next, next image, please. Here's Pastor Dan and a little girl. You need, somebody, you need a kid to love on you? Hey, Go to the orphanage. They're going to love on you in a tremendous way. They will latch onto you. They will wrap around your leg, and you'll have this, this, uh, this thing that's hanging onto you, just walking around, because they, they have been so starved for love that when they get it, they just latch on. It is really very profound. Next image is a Marshall, uh, and you get that. Marshall's been loving on those kids for 20 years. And he could tell you story after story. And I know there are plenty of other people here that, that have been to Mexico who could tell story after story about uh, the difference that it's making. And the next image is from several years ago. Uh, you might, 
the people that are in the orange shirts, you can see their Faith in Action shirt. That's some of our, our folks from Lighthouse. Uh, on the far left uh, is J.R. Belcher. J.R. was um, who's in our band now. Uh, he was our youth director at the time, and and um, just just there's it's amazing the impact that going there makes on a person's life. Next image. Some of the kids they look pretty good, don't they? They look pretty healthy, but these are kids that when they came to the orphanage, they maybe had the clothes on their back, if if that. They probably hadn't eaten in a good while. Uh, you've heard me tell the story before. It's from in the early times of the orphanage. There was a little family of four, a, a sister that was 12, and then the kids were like eight and five and two. Uh, and big sister, who was 12, was engaged in prostitution because that was the only way they could get some food for the kids, and they were living under a bridge. 12 years old, in prostitution, living under a bridge. You helped save that little family. You did. Next image. This is a cathedral in uh, Puebla. One of the things that happens on a mission trip when you go to Mexico is that uh, the last day, um, day and a half, you, you, you ride back from Tecomachalco back to Puebla, uh, and get to spend the night uh, in a hotel, a nice hotel in, in uh, basically on the square in, in uh, Puebla. And it's a beautiful place and a wonderful way to end the trip to just have some time to relax and have some fellowship with other uh, Christians. It's, a, it's such a huge blessing. So three years ago, uh, the passage about beautiful feet came to me again, and it came to me about the time that I was approached about going to Kenya. And, and there have been opportunities for me to go to Kenya before, and, and I've never went to Kenya. I, you know, in my own head, I'm thinking it's too far away, too much chaos over there. I don't know what's going on over there in Kenya. And, oh, by the way, it costs a ton of money. So I've always been res resistant about going to Kenya because of the money more than anything else. And I, I became convicted three years ago because... In one of my quiet times, uh, uh, the Spirit of God spoke into me uh, to help me think about it a little bit more because it was basically, Frank, are you, are, you, are you trying to do my work or are you more concerned about the money? Are you really going to do what I'm calling you to do or are you going to not do it and use the money as an excuse? So I went to Kenya. And I was convicted that I would go to Kenya. And so I've been on two trips now. Uh, we start here in DFW, fly from here to Dubai, which is a really long flight, uh, a wonderful flight, but it's a long flight. And then we fl you land in Dubai, and then you fly from there on to Nairobi. Now, the trip that we're going to have next year may go to Dubai, or, or Maria Mitchell, who heads our team up, uh, thinks that we're going to be able to go through Europe this uh, next year, a little bit cheaper to go that way. But regardless, just to give you an idea of where... Uh, Kenya is, if you're not aware. Here's some pictures from Kenya. This is our team outside the Methodist Church there, which is right in downtown Maua, uh, which has one paved road, no stoplights, and you can see they're working on the parking lot at, uh, at, the, at the church. And what a packed out church and how fun it was. Ask anybody on the team how exciting worship was there. 
Next, next image. This is some of the team on one of the, I think this was the first day at when we were working, and this was a celebration that everybody survived today. Everybody's good, right? Next image. This is the Maui Basin Hotel. And you, if you were driving uh, and you're going on a tour of the U.S. and you're going to stop somewhere for the night, you might see a place like this, but you'd probably drive on because it doesn't look like much. But I just got to tell you that according to the standards of what you see around you in Kenya, in Maui, in that area, this place is the Taj Mahal. It has running water. It has nice beds. It has clean sheets. It has a sink. It has hot water. It has a toilet. It has a shower with hot water. What more could you want? And when you're on a team, when you go to the hotel, you begin to fall in love with the hotel because you realize how everybody else is living. They don't have running water. They don't have hot water. They don't have clean sheets. They, they have maybe a mat that they sleep on. Next image is of some of our team working on the AIDS orphan house uh, that you provided, that you built. You saved a family. Let's be clear about it. You saved a family when you built this house. Oh, yeah, the team members built it, but you, support, you provided the finances to make that house reality. Next image. This is Ann Worski. She's teaching the kids tic-tac-toe. Uh, and you can't imagine how enamored these kids were with her teaching them tic-tac-toe, a simple little thing that a lot of the kids had never seen before, and they loved on Ann, and Ann loved on them. How wonderful it was to see the kids. This is when they're just coming back from school. Next image, please. Uh, here's uh, Ann uh, and Marjorie and a couple of guys from the, from the hospital, working at the hospital, building a wall. You see those, those uh, stones on the left? They weigh about... 80 pounds each. Is that right, Barry? Something like that. And uh, um, Marjorie and Ann uh, were doing their best to try to keep up with the guys that were there working to build, uh, build the wall. But that was part of what we did while we were there. Next image. Here's some of the uh, gals after working at the AIDS Orphan House with some of the kids from the area right there. And you can see Pam Doberstein uh, looks like she's got some ashes or something on it. Can you see that? She's got some black splotches on her. Those, that's creosote because one of the last things you do on the house is you coat it with creosote, uh, which is, uh, provides a barrier for moisture and also for insects. And uh, anyway, let's go to the next one. Uh, this is at the end of, I think, maybe the same day, and you can see Pam's shirt. See her kneeling on the front? Looks like a black speckled shirt. No, it's, it's, it's black speckled because it's got creosote all over it. And look at the smiles. These people have been working hard all day. And what a grand time at the end of the day to celebrate together. Next image is of us in the chapel at the hospital. They do chapel every single day at the hospital. Isn't that cool to think about a hospital that has chapel every day? What a novel idea, huh? They're doing it there. We were so blessed to be a part of that. Next image. Uh, this is a pickup truck. And um, you understand, uh, in Kenya, uh, motorcycles are their pickup trucks. And this is not an unusual scene to see at all. In fact, uh, it's not unusual to see a love seat strapped onto the back of a motorcycle and have two or three or four people sitting on the love seat 
driving down the road with this motorcycle rider driving them. I don't know what the fare is, but uh, I just got to tell you, it was, it was way too expensive for me to get on and ride. Uh, next one. It's a pretty dry and desolate place. It's called Rikiyu. It's, it's hardly a hole in the wall. It's a blip on the, on the road outside of Mao. It's about an hour's drive from Mao where we stayed most of the time. And this is the place where we uh, found this school, uh, and we have begun to support this school. In fact, I'm privileged today to say to you that Lighthouse just recently sent $10,000 to build two classrooms for the kids at this school. Way to go, Lighthouse. Way to go, God. Go, God. And, and please understand, this is so remote that the way they're going to build this school is they're going to they're hire a team, and they're going to go live at the school because it's, it's such an inaccessible area. They're going to live at the school for about three weeks or maybe a month and while the rooms get built. And, and these are classrooms that are, are some of the finest classrooms you could ever find in Kenya because they've got concrete floors, and they've got solid walls, and they've got a roof over their head. Uh, you've seen pictures before of schools, and I should have thrown one in here of one of the classrooms that's ba- barely got any wood around it, and it's got just a dirt floor. We, you, you save kids' lives by putting them in a classroom that has a concrete floor, and you did that. You're doing that. I can't wait to show pictures when we get them. I sent a note to the pastor, Pastor Ann, uh, yesterday. She sent it back to me last night. The materials are supposed to be dropped off this week to get the project started. You are changing lives in Kenya. Now, let me say something to you about this, because this is not simply a plea to say we need to get people to go to Kenya or to go to Mexico. This is a plea to make sure that everybody here understands that this work that we're engaged in, that God led us to this, and that we need to be supportive of it in any way we possibly can. Maybe you can't go, but when teams are getting ready, there's all kinds of things that have to be done and prepared and to get ready to go. There's all kinds of ways that you can help make a trip like this happen. And if you're feeling the pitter-patter of the Holy Spirit right now. If there's a little butterfly going on right here, my guess, it's not that you're having a heart incident right now. My guess is that the Spirit of God is moving in you saying, you need to be involved in this. And some of you are thinking, yeah, I feel it, Frank, but I'm not going to tell anybody about it. But let me tell you, God is very persistent. God is way more patient than you or I ever will be. And it would be in your best interest if you feel that little pitter-patter from the butterfly going right now to step up and say, I want to be a part of what God is doing there. Because one of the things that we don't realize is that the people around the orphanage, they understand that this is a God thing. The people around the, the hospital in Maui, they realize it's a God thing. But when teams come, what they are doing is they're, they're showing the people of Mexico and Kenya that God cares about them too. That God 
that God is sending these people, that these people would not come unless God intervened. And so God intervenes and sends people to help them know that God is real. Jesus said, go to the ends of the earth. If you're interested in going to Mexico or to Kenya, uh, in Guest Central, I'll be after the service today. Would love to visit with you about it. Uh, there are actually fact sheets that we have prepared about Kenya and about Mexico that will be at Guest Central. And if you are one here today that has been to Mexico or to Kenya, would you stand up right now? If you've been to Mexico or to Kenya, now look around. Look at all these faces of people that have been. And I want to encourage you today to, to speak to them, speak to them, ask them a question about uh, their trip and ask them about more details about it because it's life-changing. Now, I want to I throw the picture of Angel up. Uh, if we could get Angel's picture up. Angel uh, is a little girl that when she was four days old, her mom set her down on her bed in the little shack that, that really probably wasn't even a shack. I'm talking about cardboard walls and a sheet for a roof. And Angel got set on the bed because her mom had to go to the bathroom, which was an outhouse, right? No running water. The outhouse, 20 feet away, whatever. Mom goes to go to the bathroom, sets the baby down. And while mom's in the outhouse, the kerosene lamp in the house explodes. And it exploded because somebody sold her kerosene that was mixed with water. And they did that to dilute the kerosene so that it would, they could sell more kerosene. Well, that, when that kerosene lamp blew up, it sprayed that hot kerosene all over Angel's body. And by the time her mom got back to her, she was sure that she would probably die. She lost her nose. She lost her mouth. She lost her eyelids. Can you imagine losing your eyelids? She was burned pretty much all over her entire body. She was only four days old, as I mentioned, and you know that... Uh, little hole that, that closes up on a kid. I can't think what the name of it is off the top of my head, but what, what's it called? Yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I couldn't. Uh, yeah. Anyway, you get, what, you get what I'm saying, right? But because of the fire, that hole was, was open. I mean, you could, you could literally see her brain. And they took her to the hospital in Maua that you helped support. And they did everything that they could for three days there. Then they sent her to Nairobi, and she spent three months in Nairobi. And then she spent a year at the Shriners Hospital in Galveston afterwards because of you, because of people like you, reaching people that have been lost because somebody chose to take their blinders off, because somebody wasn't afraid to look at life the way it really is, to do something for somebody else that maybe wasn't in their comfort zone. So I want to invite you today to take off your blinders. Because you'll never, you'll never really fully see your beautiful feet until you take the blinders off and let God move in your life. And, and, and to not be afraid to go where God sends you, no matter where it is and what it's about, 
that if we would just take off our blinders, then amazing things would happen because of the power of God. Amen? Let's pray. God, we are grateful that you have called us to the ends of the earth. May we collectively, God, understand that we've, we've got to be invested here and in the state of Texas and in these United States as Christians, but God, we also need to be invested in the rest of the world. We pray for that orphanage in Mexico, God. We pray for, for Casa Hogar, for Pastor Juan Francisco and his dear wife, Sylvia. And we pray over that hospital that is up in the highlands in Maua. And we pray for the work that you are engaged in in those places, God. And we are grateful that you have called us to be partners with those two places to help them see you more clearly. Help us to find our beautiful feet, God, to be engaged in serving others everywhere we go. We pray that you would be blessed because of the beautiful feet. And all God's people said amen. And amen.